Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 42 of the Fantasy Law Guy podcast. I'm Nick Garisco at Fantasy Law Guy on Instagram. Today's show, full breakdown of an exciting week four. Hakeem dropped the ball! Hakeem dropped the ball! He did what? Playoffs? What are talking about? Playoffs? Who the hell is Mel Kiper? They are who we thought they were. We let him off the hook. Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. What the hell's going on out here? I cannot play with him. Cannot win with him. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. Can't wait. You like that? You like that? Just keep matriculating the ball down the field. I saw, son. I saw. Hello? You play to win the game. Hardly. Sends the Saints to the Super Bowl. The good news is that the Chiefs and Patriots game is on tonight. No new positive tests for COVID-19 among either team. So we get a little bit of a doubleheader on Monday Night Football, though the games do overlap some. So if you gambled on keeping the Chiefs and the Patriots players in your lineups, then the gamble is certainly going to pay off. And I had to make that call myself in my highest stakes league last night, actually, where I was down... 40-something points going into last night's game between the Niners and Eagles. And I only had George Kittle and my quarterback left to play. And normally, seeing as my quarterback is Pat Mahomes and George Kittle is an elite tight end, I was thinking this would be an easy win. Or maybe not an easy win, but a win I should be able to pick up. But I had picked up Nick Mullins, knowing that he had a late game on Sunday night to give me the longest time possible that I could have had to make a decision of whether to play Mullins over Pat Mahomes or risk starting Pat Mahomes, who I, you know, we didn't even know if he was going to play on Monday night, if the Chiefs were going to play at all. I don't want to go out there and get embarrassed on Monday night football in front of everybody. At the time, and it was a real sweat between those afternoon games when they ended like that 40 minutes up until the Sunday night football game kickoff. I was just kind of staring at my computer. Should I take the easy points? from Nick Mullins knowing that I could be leaving a lot of points on the table if I had started Pat Mahomes. This is a very heavy quarterback scoring league. All touchdowns are worth six. There's bonus yards for 300-yard games. But it really just came down to whether I wanted to take the risk and hope that Pat Mahomes played tomorrow. And I ended up doing that. I ended up taking the risk. And then George Kittle just totally bailed me out and rendered that situation totally moot. He scored the 40 points that I needed by himself, single-handedly, and I got the win. So I was able to just rest easy last night after a great day of fantasy football. I, I just knew that I was going to be tilting, just waiting for you know 7 a.m. when to see if that Chiefs-Patriots game was on, but I didn't have to do that. Thanks to George Kittle, my hero, and Mahomes is playing right now, and that, that's just a bonus. So Kittle, just so fun to watch last night. He single-handedly won me like three leagues last night when I was coming from behind. And we'll talk about his dominance later. But we have to get to the bad news here as well. And that's that Devontae Adams is out tonight. He is, I shouldn't say he's out. He's not been ruled out. But he tweeted that he is likely not playing. Again, he wanted to be 100% before he got back into the lineups. And that's fine. Because if you listen to my show on Friday, then you saw this coming for either Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, or Devontae Adams. And you prepared accordingly. But Devontae Adams needs to be out of lineups. Obviously, You want to see if Marcus Valdez-Scantley's in free agency. He probably is not. But hopefully you listen to my advice and put Adams in your flex and left a bench spot open if you don't have an IR spot. 
And that will open up more options. Running back for the Falcons, Brian Hill. Tied in for the Packers, Robert Tonyan. And now we have even more options with the Patriots Chiefs. Wide receiver Demetrius Bird for New England. Nikhil Harry for New England if he's there. McCall Hardman for the Chiefs. Demarcus Robinson for the Chiefs. Great options there. Plenty of punt pit plays probably available in your leagues. Maybe even Damian Harris, the running back for New England if he's there. Uh, and that's assuming you have an IR spot or a bench spot open, which I made sure you do. I recommended that you did if you listen to my Friday show when we were talking, when I was previewing this Falcons and Packers game. It looks like Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones will play, barring any setbacks and warm-ups or anything like that. So that is good. And the Sunday, but the Sunday slate of week four was just really exciting. And we have an action-packed show full of valuable information to get to. So let's get to those recaps right now. The New Orleans Saints got back to 500 at 2-2, two two, defeating the Detroit Lions 35-29. to The Lions are 1-3. and three. Michael Thomas was out for this game. Drew Brees attempted 21 passes, 246 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. And Brees was pretty surgical in this game. The 25 attempts, not that great. It was a season low. But he challenged the Lions. I wouldn't say downfield. I think his, hot, his furthest throw was about 20 yards. But he was really on point for those intermediate routes and even kind of slinging some balls in there, showing off his arm strength. And not, not everything was short in this game. So this was a very promising game for Drew Brees. Traquan Smith, four catches, 54 yards, two touchdowns. He also looked great in this one. Drew hit him on a perfect throw on an out route in the end zone. Traquan Smith also had a crucial fumble recovery in this game where he dove in front of like two Lions defenders. You don't get any fantasy points per, uh, for that, but it was a very critical play for the Saints. Traquan Smith had another touchdown as well. Breeze also found Emmanuel Sanders. Nine targets, six catches, 93 yards in the soft spot of a lot of zone coverage uh, several times in the first half. Drew Brees' interception was tipped at the line of scrimmage on his first throw, and Drew was pretty flawless after that. And the Saints, Drew could have had more points, but the Saints had three rushing touchdowns in this game. Two were Latavius Murray, one, were Alvin, one was Alvin Kamara. And we'll talk about the running game now. Alvin Kamara, 19 rushes, 83 yards, one touchdown, only four targets, three catches, 36 yards. So it was a pretty efficient game by Alvin Kamara. And he had a short rushing touchdown in the second quarter. But he saw Latavius Murray get 14 carries, 64 yards, two touchdowns. I thought Murray played great. Murray also had a 19-yard catch. This was a matchup against a soft Lions defense where you could have theoretically started Latavius Murray. Uh, although I didn't you know, suggest it myself. But Murray just looked really good in this game after looking pretty sluggish. Uh, the week prior, or I should say against the Raiders, and didn't really do much against the Packers as well. Kamara looked really good running against this soft Lions defense that is just not very good. And the Lions, they got out to a 14-0 lead on the back of that turnover, and the Saints defense looked like they couldn't stop anyone. But the Saints defense picked it back up, and they scored 35 straight uh, unanswered points. For the Saints there, and they were able to cover the spread, which was my bet of the week. If you listened to my uh, shows last week, that was my bet of the week, my lock of the week, I will say, when Wade Longmire gave us some of his locks. And let's see, let's talk about Jared Cook did not play in this game. Michael Thomas also did not play. Yeah, I think that covers it for the New Orleans Saints. This was just a really good matchup for them, and it helped that their defense was missing a lot of key starters. They were missing both their cornerbacks, 
Marshawn Lattimore and Janoris Jenkins. And that actually allowed the Lions to get back into this game. And the Saints kind of knew this, so they kind of just kept putting the foot on the gas pedal there. And again, scoring 35 unanswered points is great for anybody. But the Lions had a pretty decent game as well as a whole. 206 passing yards for Matt Stafford. Three touchdowns, one interception. And again, the Saints were playing without their top two corners. And the Lions jumped out to a quick 14-0 lead. I'm repeating myself here. But the touchdowns went to Kenny Galladay and DeAndre Swift. And the offense just kind of stalled out after that. And Stafford's third touchdown was a goal line throw to TJ Hawkinson. After a Marvin Jones, uh, he drew a long pass interference call when the Lions were kind of uh, trying catching up back to the Saints late in this game. They made a late push, but the Saints were able to hold on by getting a few first downs. Marvin Jones did absolutely nothing in this game. Two targets, one catch, nine yards. This is despite the fact that the Saints were missing their two top corners. And I think this renders Marvin Jones pretty useless. I think it's time to move on from him. I think that he's wasted space on your roster and you can go ahead and cut him in 12 team leagues i'll talk about that more on my waiver wire show tj hawkinson he had a slow game as well i thought it was going to be a much bigger game against the saints team that is hemorrhaging points two tight ends but only four targets two catches nine yards but he did get into the end zone twice once on a two-point conversion and once on a short touchdown it was a play action fake on the goal line and but Hawkinson's four targets were tied with DeAndre Swift for a distant second on the team behind Kenny Galladay's eight targets. Kenny Galladay uh, has, has played in two games since he's come back. He scored in both games with similar numbers in both games. I mentioned in my preview pod for this game on Friday that Kenny Galladay would have four or five catches for 50 or 60 yards and a touchdown. He had four catches for 60 yards and a touchdown. Galladay, he, I thought he could have had a better game with the Saints missing their corners. And with the Lions playing a negative game script for most of this game, uh, at least after the second quarter, uh, but but Galladay did receive eight targets. He seems to be pretty much 100% from his hamstring injury. If he's not, then he's very close. And Kenny Galladay, actually, he's just a, such a red zone threat there. His, his touchdown was a 15-yarder early in the first quarter. Galladay has 15 touchdowns over his last 18 games. So pretty incredible stuff from Kenny Galladay there. The Lions running game. Stayed pretty irrelevant here. Adrian Peterson led the way, 11 carries, 36 yards, and he got his rushing touchdown in the revenge game for Adrian Peterson. Carrion Johnson didn't do much of anything. Three carries for nine yards for Carrion. And, but DeAndre Swift had a pretty good game. He scored a seven-yard touchdown grab in the opening drive, and he actually looked like a very capable pass catcher in this game. The Saints linebackers did not do a good job of covering him on option routes, and Swift, he, you know, he's averaged 31% of the snaps played this year. He could be a buy low if the Lions, you know, gear away from Adrian Peterson, but Adrian Peterson's presence in this offense has really slowed down the Lions' passing attack. This is an attack that was much more uh, vertically aggressive last year, and now that Matt Patricia finally likes an old-school running back that he likes, it's just making this Lions offense much more conservative, which is limiting the fantasy points uh, from Matt Stafford, from Kennedy Galladay, from guys like DeAndre Swift. Of course, that's a direct correlation there. But I, I think Swift's a little bit of a buy low after a frustrating start, and I think he will continue to be the passing down back for Detroit. And if something were to happen to Adrian Peterson, I think uh, Swift could have a, a potential second-half breakout here. Okay, let's move on to the Cincinnati Bengals. We're on to Cincinnati. It's nothing about the past, nothing about the future. It's right now we're preparing for Cincinnati. Joe Burrow, he got his first win. He beat the Jacksonville Jaguars 33-25. to 
And now the Bengals are 1-2-1, and one, and the Jaguars are 1-3. and three. Till, Still two bad, pretty bad teams here. Joe Burrow, 300 passing yards, one touchdown, one interception, 14 rushing yards. It wasn't a great fantasy game from Joe Burrow, not as good as I thought it was going to be. Uh, that's because Mixon, who I'll talk about in a second, stole the love here. Uh, Joe Mixon, he forced an in-zone an pass to Drew Sample that was intercepted. His touchdown was only really a check down to Joe Mixon, who scored all three of the Bengals' touchdowns. But Joe Burrow just, just kind of average in this game, not that great. Uh, A.J. Green, yuck. Another bad game from A.J. Green. Five targets, one catch. Three yards against the lowly Jacksonville Jaguars. Another nondescript week for A.J. Green, who has not gone over 60 receiving yards in any game. A.J. Green, he looked to have his shoulder uh, shoulder injury in the second half. He spent some time on the sideline, but, man, he looks pretty cooked. I don't think we can trust A.J. Green anymore. I said he was a flex option going into this game. I don't think he's in any option right now. Tyler Boyd was the leading receiver as expected. Eight targets, seven catches, 90 yards. Uh, no touchdowns, although he did have a... Uh, 15-yard touchdown nullified by penalty. So this could have been a bigger day for Tyler Boyd. You've got to feel confident in him as an every-week wide receiver, too, going forward. If you drafted him, which you had a chance to do if you followed my draft guide, he's on uh, quite a few of my teams. T. Higgins, he had another pretty solid game here. After having 40 yards and two touchdowns in Week 3, a lot of people spent their fab money on T. Higgins. I did in some leagues. Uh, seven targets, four catches, 77 yards. He also had 10 rushing yards in this game. And Higgins just stayed involved coming off his breakout game. He saw more targets than A.J. Green. And Green missed some time in the second half with an injury. And the Bengals, they've made John Ross a healthy scratch in the last two weeks. And C.J. Uzama, who was one of the top red zone threats for this team, he's out for the season. So Higgins is really emerging as the Bengals' top red zone threat. He had a play in this game where Joe Burrow just looked like he was throwing the ball away. But it ended up somehow, you know, he's near the sideline. It ended up somehow staying in bounds. It was like a lob to the end zone. It honestly looked like he was throwing it out of bounds. But T. Higgins almost came up with this amazing catch where he got uh, he got his hands on the ball, he high-pointed the ball, and I think he only got one foot inbounds, or maybe he dropped the ball uh, as he was coming to the ground, but it would have been a sensational score. So, yeah, I like T. Higgins going forward. I think he's going to have a, a pretty good second half of the year. So he is definitely a hold. Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon finally had his breakout game, and I was getting pretty worried about Joe Mixon. I held on to him in all my leagues, you know, riding out the storm. But I, you know, recommended that, you know, some people, you know, sell pretty low, honestly. Uh, it was it was definitely an option. Even even listing him as an option for like James Robinson or James Conner. Uh, I mean, geez. But Joe Mixon came out of nowhere. I shouldn't say out of nowhere. This was against the Jaguars. But the Jaguars had a pretty, they were only averaging 3.2 yards per carry against them going into this game, but Mixon just had a field day, and that was just great to see. I was worried that Mixon wasn't going to get into the end zone for a while. He scored three times in this game, 25 carries, 151 rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns, six targets, six rushes, I mean, six catches, great for Joe Mixon, 30 receiving yards and one touchdown through the air. Mixon had like 40 PPR points, and this was just a real shame. I was just so wrong about Mixon. I thought he was going to have another pretty slow week. And I thought it was going to take a while for Mixon to really get going. Uh, but I am happy. So I missed on out in that perspective. I was totally wrong about that. But I am happy that this came with my eighth ranked overall player on my draft guide. It's finally good to see him being a potential, you know, a, or he was a weak winner this week. So that is great if you held on firm with Joe Mixon. You know, I know I did, but, you know, I was getting, I was getting worried. 
definitely for sure. I, w- I will be the first to admit that I was fearing the worst for Joe Mixon, but the volume was always always there, and he just he saw a full workload again. He was in the entire offense uh, yesterday. Mixon he took a check down, he hur- uh, hurtled into the end zone for his t- uh, receiving touchdown. He also broke off a pair of twenty yard rushing touchdowns, uh, one of which was basically left wide open after Mixon cut back to the right. This was a much needed breakout. He was entering the game scoreless and averaging just three two point two yards a carry. Uh, with with a tough matchup on, against the Ravens on deck. So you can see why I was getting nervous about Mixon here. And maybe, I don't know, just maybe, I hate to not double down be here, but maybe it's a time to sell high. I, I don't know. Like this could be just a fluke game against the Jaguars. We will see going forward. But, you know, maybe it's time to entertain offers. Like maybe you get offered Miles Sanders. Maybe you get offered Clyde Edwards Elaine. That would be an offer I would uh, at least contemplate, right? So let's move on to... The uh, Jacksonville Jaguars in this game. The Jaguars posted 25 points as a team. There's a lot of field goals in this game. 351 passing yards for Gardner Minshew. Two touchdowns, one interception. And Minshew kind of rebounded from his bad week last week, though most of his yards came while trailing from behind in the fourth quarter. He took three sacks, and he was under constant pressure behind an injured offensive line. Both of his touchdowns went to DJ Chark. DJ Chark, great game from DJ Chark. This was very promising. Nine nine targets, eight catches, 95 receiving yards, two touchdowns. And it was against the Bengals. That's great. But Chark led the Jacksonville Jaguars in targets. Both of his scores came in the red zone. And he had a highlight post-corner route where he got both feet in inbounds after jumping up to get the ball. He it, This was very encouraging for his usage despite being pass Heavy game script. Uh, I think DJ Chark, you know, I was saying that he should be in starting lineups going into this game despite his slow start. You got to keep him in starting lineups. He's going to have positive game flow or favorable game flow for DJ Chark. The Jaguars are going to be trailing often. And Chark, he looks like he's healthy after missing week three with that chest and back injury. LaVisca Chenault had a pretty good game, his best game to date. He is definitely worth being rostered in 12-team formats right now. Six targets, five catches, 86 yards for Chark. I mean, sorry, for LaVisca Chenault. I've mentioned that his role is going to keep growing as the season progresses. He sometimes uses the running back, but he only got one carry for five yards here. He was hit hard in the game late, but it was never announced with an injury. But he is really explosive. Uh, he should be the Jaguars' number two, clear-cut number two receiver behind DJ uh, Chark. However, right now they're still feeding Keelan Cole and stuff like that. But as the season progresses, Chenault's role is going to increase. So hold on to Chenault. He could be a difference maker in the second half of the season. Uh, James Robinson, pretty slow day at the office for James Robinson. Seven, but he did get a workhorse role. He maintained that bell cow role. 17 carries, 75 yards, not terrible. Four catches, 32 uh, receiving yards there. And the Jags fed Robinson the touches early, but then they had to abandon the run while playing from behind in the second half. That's going to happen sometimes with James Robinson. The good news is he caught four passes for 32 yards. Hey, that's seven PPR points and receiving alone right there uh, in this negative game script. And there just wasn't any red zone chances for Robinson this week. Robinson saw 100% of the running back touches for Jacksonville, though. So no Chris Thompson uh, really receiving touches in this game. So that is great news for Robinson. He still is in every week running back one despite this slow game. Moving on to the Seattle Seahawks. They remain undefeated at 4-0 with a win over the Miami Dolphins in South Beach, 31-23. to 
Seattle seat, Russell Wilson, Mr. Unlimited, not really unlimited in this game, although he did have 360 passing yards, two touchdowns, one interception. He had a rare miscue in the in the in the end zone there. He threw an interception in his own, not in his own end zone, in the Dolphins end zone when he could have scored, I guess. But he also had a DK Metcalf. He hit him on a screen pass, and DK Metcalf did most of the work, but Metcalf got wrestled down at the one-yard line on a 32-yard catch and run late in the fourth quarter, so Russell Wilson could have had a third touchdown there. And Chris Carson, he had two rushing touchdowns in this game, and both of them were from one yard out. So, you know, Russell Wilson obviously could have you know been a situation where he could have had five touchdowns in this game. And it's really just saying something so impressive about this down day for Russell Wilson in fantasy when he still put up 360 yards and two touchdowns, one interception in this game. So, yeah, all systems go for Russell Wilson. He is the front runner for league MVP, competing with Josh Allen, I should say. He's one of the fantasy football MVPs for sure. Week four for TJ, or Tyler Lockett, I was going to say TJ Lockett, for Tyler Lockett was not pleasant. Lockett had zero grabs until there were seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. He didn't catch a pass until then. And he had also had one 20-yard drop in the second quarter, I believe. It was just a slow day at the office for Tyler Lockett. Only four targets, two catches, 39 yards, so only six PPR points, or almost seven PPR points. Not a good day for Lockett. This was his first bad game of the year. DK Metcalf had another pretty strong game. Four catches on six targets for 106 yards, no touchdowns. But again, he was ruled out at the one when he was pushed out after a 32-yard catch and run on a screen screen pass. DK Metcalf has had a good game every week this season. Uh, but the crazy thing about DK Metcalf, he's only caught exactly four passes in every game this season. Pretty cool stat there. Chris Carson was a game-time decision for this game with a knee injury. That looked pretty ugly last week, but it ends up being Carlos Hyde. The insurance policy would end up being the one inactive for this game. Chris Carson, it was a tasty matchup against the Dolphins for sure, and he did exit with a concussion scare, but he did return. He had two one-yard rushing touchdowns. One was early, one was late, but overall in the day, 16 uh, attempts, 80 yards, two touchdowns, three catches, 20 yards. Great day from Chris Carson. A weak winning day if you had Chris Carson. And Carson, he ran violently all game, possibly too violently, as that, that was one of the reasons he was shaken up a couple times in this game. Let's move on to the Miami Dolphins. Ryan Fitzpatrick had a rushing touchdown. He had an interception, had over 300 yards. Pretty decent day for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, I don't know if he was Fitz magic, but he kept it competitive against the Seattle Seahawks, even though their defense is so pathetic. Devontae Parker was the story in this game for the Dolphins. 12 targets, 10 catches, 110 yards. I mentioned that uh, in my matchup preview that if I had Parker, I'm starting him in every league that I have him. This was a great matchup for Devontae Parker, and he definitely hit. And it was looking like a lost day for Parker when he departed after two grabs to get his troublesome ankle retaped. Uh, but Parker, he just missed two series, and then he bounced right back into this game. He got loose along the sideline, and then he also immediately caught two passes uh, right when he returned. And then it was just a favorable game script for Miami's passing game uh, because they were trailing for most of this game. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, after the game, said that he's always going to rely on Devontae Parker. Devontae Parker looks like a really good pick in fantasy football right now not necessarily because of what he's done he's had three pretty slow games prior to this game uh however he was dealing with the injury and now just knowing what we've seen out of Preston Williams and Mike Jasicki it looks like Devontae Parker the clear cut wide receiver one for the team like not even close uh Preston Williams three targets one catch 
15 yards. This is after having 7 yards a week before and 26 yards a week before that. Preston Williams is a drop in 12-team leagues. This was a very painful dud in a soft matchup against a weak Seattle secondary. They were missing Jamal Adams. They were missing their top cornerback, Quentin Dunbar. They were missing their nickel cornerback, Marquise Blair. There's really just... Ryan Fitzpatrick attempted 45 throws in this game. Only 3 went Williams' way. So Williams was, has only been a target on 11.5% of his pass routes this season. This was just a total throwaway game from Williams, and most of his games have been throwaway games. And you can throw him away uh, in, on your team. You can go ahead and drop him to free agency in, in the waiver wire segment this week. Mike Jasicki, also a throwaway game, but I'm going to hold on to him. He's had three pretty bad games this year out of four, but that one blow-up game was a week-winning week. And... Mike Jasicki, three targets, one catch, 15 yards. Now, it was a very athletic catch, and that's what he does. He flashes. He he has, like, at least one or two athletic catches every single game where you're like, gosh, why don't they get the ball to Mike Jasicki more? But I, I don't know. I, I just don't know. And this was brutal. The Seattle Seahawks were missing uh, stud safety, Jamal Adams. So there's really no reason why Jasicki didn't have more. Again, Ryan Fitzpatrick attempted 45 passes, favorable game flow. I don't know. I don't get it with Mike Jasicki. He's always been very, very inconsistent. He's just kind of a boomer bust guy every week. And so far, there's been three busts in one massive boom. Moving on to the running game here, Miles Gaskin. Only 10 carries, 40 yards, three catches, 22 receiving yards. Not a very descriptive day for Miles Gaskin, but that was kind of expected, I guess, knowing that the Seattle Seahawks were likely going to be winning this game and that you know the running game was not really going to be established here. And Gaskin did control the backfield, carries most of them. And but the carries were just few and far between with the Dolphins playing from behind. Gaskin, he's been a replacement level running back on the ground as a receiver, but right now, replacement level talent is the best running back that the Dolphins currently have. So, yeah, Miles Gaskin, a very good bench option on your team and it's definitely startable in some favorable matchups. But this one against the Seattle Seahawks, who were bound to win this game, was not a, a very favorable matchup. Moving on to the Carolina Panthers, who upset the Arizona Cardinals. 31-21. This was a bit of a surprise. Both teams are now 2-2. Two and two. Uh, Interesting fact about this game. Uh, you know I'm kind of into how Vegas views these games. Uh, the Cardinals were only favored 3 in this game, uh, going into this game. And I know the Panthers end up winning by 10, but l- going into this game, this was a game where you're like, oh gosh, Cardinals favored 3. That's one of my favorite bets of the week. And other bettors agreed. The public was 90%. 90% of the bets on this game were for the Arizona Cardinals. That was one of the highest marks on any game this season on the highest public bets. And then, of course, the Carolina Panthers not only win, not only cover, but they win by 10. So, I mean, gosh, this is just crazy NFL right there. Uh, I don't know. But I just thought that was pretty interesting right there. Teddy Bridgewater had his best game of the season. He is heating up. And Arizona was missing some key defenders in this game. They were missing Devin Kennard, their one of their second-best edge rusher. And they were also missing Buda Baker, who is an elite safety uh, slash nickel corner in this league. But Teddy Bridgewater, you know, he didn't care. 276 passing yards, two touchdowns through the air, one interception. But also, rarity for Teddy Bridgewater, six Rushes, 32 rushing yards, and one rushing touchdown. There was no troubled water in this game, 
And Bridgewater, you know, best game to date. He was accurate all game. He completed 26 of 37 throws. He juked and he spun away from defenders on the near the line of scrimmage to convert a third and eight and scrambled into the end zone from 18 yards out. That was his rushing touchdown. He also had a short passing touchdown to Ian Thomas late on a rollout play, but he did have an interception down the sideline, also intended for tight end Ian Thomas. So Teddy Bridgewater in this Panthers offense is starting to heat up. Unfortunately, DJ Moore, not part of that. I mentioned on my preview show that this was probably the last week to buy DJ Moore low. Well, you get another week because you can certainly buy him low this week, but I don't know if we really want to anymore because this was a great matchup against the Cardinals. Or I shouldn't say great. They do have Patrick Peterson, but this was a pretty exploitable matchup against the Cardinals as a whole. Six targets, four catches, 49 receiving yards, zero touchdowns. DJ Moore has the most receiving touchdowns without a receiving, sorry, has the most receiving yards, 288 receiving yards on the season without a touchdown so far. So he doesn't lead the league in yards. I don't know if I said that bad, but out of all the receivers who have uh, as many receiving yards and no touchdowns, uh, DJ Moore is at the top of that list. I don't think that I said that better any better on that play either on that play. I just can't talk right now. We're going to move on. DJ Moore was just simply not needed in the second half. The Panthers were up 28 to seven at halftime. This was the second week in a row that Carolina had a positive game script, which is of course negative uh, for DJ Moore. And, you know, it just wasn't a perfect performance. He dropped the pass early in this game. He got called for OPI once again in this game. And Robbie Anderson may be the number one receiver on this team. Robbie Anderson, another good game here. 11 targets, 8 catches, 99 receiving yards. He was one away from 100. He did not score. But Anderson's game has just totally evolved in Carolina. He's no longer being used as simply a deep threat. He was, you know, he was just pigeonholed with the Jets into a solely a vertical threat under Adam Gase. The world. Because, of course... And Joe Brady, the creative mind that he is, he is maximizing Robbie Anderson's skill set. It's taking in to DJ Moore's role here. And this was something that, you know, I avoided DJ Moore in all of my drafts. You know, I, I was definitely fading DJ Moore and I was scared to do it because DJ Moore is just so talented, but I just didn't know where the touchdowns were going to come. I thought that there was a lot more competition for targets. Uh, now I should have parlayed that, or I should have doubled down that and say, hey, I really like Robbie Anderson this year. I thought it was going to come more from Curtis Samuel, but I knew in the new offense that it was going to be more spread out under Joe Brady, and I'm glad to have fade DJ Moore. He's killing a lot of people right now. However, Robbie Anderson is just killing me how well he's playing. I just did not see that coming at all. Robbie Anderson, pretty good receiver there. He's an every week wide receiver too, regardless of matchup. Christian McCaffrey was out in this game. Uh, he did not play. He's got two or three more games that he's going to miss, most likely. Uh, Mike Davis, 16 carries, 84 yards, one touchdown, five catches, 27 yards. Played well once again. Mike Davis is proving to be worth the fab money that you spent on him, even though it's only been two weeks, but you only expected him to get him for a short-term role. The Panthers' offense is just picking up steam, and Mike Davis is two for two on paying off for fantasy managers who went out and bought Mike Davis or spent the highest waiver priority on Mike Davis. Good stuff there. That just tells me that you know that one Christian McCaffrey gets fully healthy again coming back from the high ankle sprain. You know this is going to be a situation where McCaffrey can continue to thrive. It, it, it puts more of a safety feel on Christian McCaffrey's role knowing that the Panthers are going to be using their running backs like this. And this could easily be Christian McCaffrey putting up these numbers. Moving on to the Arizona Cardinals section of this game. And yeah, it wasn't very pretty. 
wasn't very pretty. 133 passing yards from Kyler Murray. That's right, only 133. Definitely a season low for him. He probably won't have a lower amount than that all season long. I hope so, at least. But three touchdowns, zero interceptions, six rushes, 78 yards, zero touchdowns on the ground. Murray, you know, scored three touchdowns and had 78 rushing yards in probably his worst game of the season. Uh, I don't know. I mean, that's Murray just it looks awesome this year for fantasy football. At least he looked. This is the second straight week that he did not look great in real life, but made up for it in the box score with a nice fantasy performance. The Cardinals were outmatched for more than two quarters at halftime. Murray only had 54 passing yards. Murray kind of turned it on when the Cardinals were trailing 28 to seven. Uh, but luckily, all the garbage t- touchdowns went to Kyler Murray, and he had one very long run in the third quarter and a few short passing touchdowns late to save his day. But overall, you know, fantasy numbers are all the numbers that count here. And Murray, another good game from a fantasy football perspective. DeAndre Hopkins, not a great game. Only nine, or I say only nine targets, like I expect a lot more. But nine targets, seven catches, only 41 receiving yards, no touchdowns. And this may go down as DeAndre Hopkins' worst game of the year. And by the way, 11 PPR points, not a bad floor. Right, like DeAndre Hopkins, he was a game time decision going into this game with an ankle injury, but, but still, this was a pretty good matchup against a weak Panthers defense, and the Cardinals were trailing all game. So I don't, I don't know, you know, why he didn't have a great game here. He looked healthy enough. So credit to Carolina for shutting DeAndre Hopkins down. Maybe he wasn't at full strength. Murray and him just couldn't get really anything going past like a few sh- like short throws. But hey, I mean, if if Murray's or sorry, if if this is Murray's floor. And if this is Kyler Murray's, uh, sorry, if this is DeAndre Hopkins' floor with 41 yards on seven catches, then, you know, I'll take it. I mean, I still think, I'm sticking with what I said. I think I think DeAndre Hopkins is going to finish as the number one wide receiver in fantasy football this season. Christian Kirk didn't do much. Uh, five targets, three catches, 19 yards, one touchdown. I don't think he's worth going pick up. Uh, again, that touchdown was in garbage time. He has six catches, 76 yards, one touchdown on the season, and that's in three games that he's played. He's looking like a total bust, and I was high on Christian Kirk this year, so that's a shame I was wrong about that. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald, Andy Isabella didn't do anything in this game. Uh, another thing I was wrong about, and what a lot of people are being wrong about, is Kenyon Drake. Boy, I'm really starting to dislike the Drake. Hate the Drake. <laughs> and I am really starting to dislike the Drake as well. And I think it's time to panic. 13 rushes, 35 rushing yards, no targets. Was not targeted in the receiving game. Kenyon Drake has seen five targets on 85 pass routes that he's run on the season on 144 Kyler, uh, Kyler Murray pass attempts so far this year. Five targets, 144 pass attempts from Kyler Murray. Wow. I mean, Kenyon Drake was supposed to be used a little bit in the receiving game. Chase Edmonds is a great receiver, but he's not taking that much of Kenyon Drake's work. Kenyon Drake's got ample amount of opportunities to be good and put up good numbers of fantasy football. Look, I get that the Carolina Panthers got out to a 28-7 lead. That did not help. But zero targets? This is not what we drafted Kenyon Drake for uh, in the in the early second round. I mean, this is a shame. Hopefully you were able to draft guys like Miles Sanders or Joe Mixon ahead of Kenyon Drake. But wow, I mean, or Josh Jacobs, of course. But wow, this is this is pretty ugly. I do not have Drake on any of my teams, but I know that, you know, in my draft guide, you were in position to get Drake uh, if, you know, the draft board fell right. I mean, I had him right about at consensus, and I wish I just really would have faded him uh, knowing that we had a pretty weak sample size for Drake's production last year. 
And it's just looking like he is not parlaying last year's success at towards the end of the year. When he finishes the RB4 in the last eight weeks of the season, he's just not parlaying that to a successful 2020. Look, I mean, I guess you could buy Drake low. I don't know. He got nicked up at the end of this game too, and Chase Edmonds caught a short score late in this game. I honestly think this is about to be a running back by committee. I think Cliff Kingsbury is going to get upset that Drake is not playing well. And maybe Drake, who's always been used better, he's always been more effective as a, um, as, you know, kind of being in a committee in a timeshare. He's never gotten like the bulk of the carries except for that eight game sample last year. You know, maybe he'll be more effective in a timeshare with, with Chase Edmonds. I know that's not what fantasy managers like to hear, but wow, I mean, this is brutal. He's one of the biggest busts in all of fantasy football, if not the biggest bust in all of fantasy football. Through in, you know, it's only through a quarter of the season. A lot of things can happen, but yeah, yikes. I would be making sure that Chase Edmonds is not on your waiver wire if you're in a 12 team, maybe even a 10 team format. Let's move on to the Los Angeles Rams. They got an ugly win against the lowly New York Giants, 17 to 9. Oh gosh, that is ugly. And and they did improve to three and one. So good for the Rams. NFC West is just so loaded. Jared Goff, 200 passing yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. But Goff was just subpar all day. He was just a game manager in this game. Hey, he completed 25 of 32 passes. So maybe he was better in real life than in fantasy. But he just never threw the ball downfield, except for one late 55-yard touchdown to Cooper Cup to seal the game. But you can imagine what it was like before that score. I mean, he was sitting on like 150 yards and no touchdowns, almost with like, I don't know, five minutes left in this game. The Rams, they just hardly threw downfield at all, and they ran an uh, ultra-conservative offense and played with their running game and defense to win this game. Uh, all around, it was just ugly for the Rams. It was a bad week to bet on the Rams, and a lot of people did bet on the Rams because they were playing a piss-poor Giants defense. The Giants defense, you know, will give them a little credit. They showed up for this game, but I just think the Rams were so pigeonholed into their run-first um, play defense. I, I felt like they could win. Sean McVay felt like he could win the game that way, and they just never went away from it. They were like, okay, we can beat this team with this match mouth running game and our defense, and that's what we're going to do, and they just never really opened it up. Um, Robert Woods was affected by that seven, uh, targets, six catches, 35 receiving yards, bad gay, bad game for Robert Woods. The entire Rams offense had a down day against an abysmal Giants defense for whatever reason. Uh, again, the run first offense did hurt there. The Giants just weren't that competitive either. I mean, they kept it a close game, but it would have been better if Daniel Jones was putting up some touchdowns to where the Rams had to throw, but they just didn't need to do it. You know, we've seen that with the Colts a lot. We've seen that with the Rams in two games here. Two out of their first four games, they were able to just play defense and um, run the ball really well and just win. Cooper Cup did come out with a pretty good day, though, and that's his third pretty good game in a row. Uh, Seven targets. Five catches, 69 receiving yards, one touchdown, but he did absolutely nothing until his 55-yard catch and run down the middle of the defense with like five to seven minutes left in this game. Um, Tyler Higby, awful, awful day from Tyler Higby. Four, four targets, three catches, 21 yards from Higby. It was just a dark day for every player in this game. Like, and I'm talking about, I'm, 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 you know, crapping on the Rams right now, but the Giants side wasn't any better whatsoever. This game was just a nightmare of all proportions. Jailed Everett, uh, the other tight end for the Rams, scored on a handoff early, so that took away a touchdown from a relevant fantasy player. Tyler Higby had a grand total. Uh, he's had a grand total of five catches since his week two blow-up game where he had three touchdowns in that game. So he's looking like Mike Jasicki where he's had three bad games, one amazing game, and 
So he's just kind of a touchdown or bust tight end option. I know a lot of tight end options are like that. But wow, I mean, yeah, not not great for Higby. He needs to find the end zone soon. The running game was even disappointed. And I just loved this spot for Daryl Henderson. Like, I, I just loved it. I thought Henderson was going to run wild. I thought he was going to have 100 yards and a touchdown in this game and do some damage in the receiving game. But then the Rams were like, nah, you know, Henderson's looking great. But we're not going to use him today. We're going to use Malcolm Brown. And Henderson, you know, he didn't play that well when he did get his opportunities. Eight carries, 22 yards, one catch for 16 for 16 yards. However, he, he had a he narrowly missed a short touchdown, but it was just all downhill from there after, for Henderson. Uh, Malcolm Brown was used more as the game progressed. Nine rushes, 37 attempts, five catches for 19 yards for Malcolm Brown. I, it just wasn't a good day for either team, and it was just so surprising. Uh, given that the Rams were kind of rolling here offensively and the Giants were just really sticking up the joint defensively. But hey, you know, the Giants showed up, both defenses showed up, and, you know, hopefully the Rams can move on and get back to their uh, successful ways. And on the other side of the ball, I mentioned that it was also ugly as well. 190 yards for Daniel Jones, zero touchdowns, one interception. Luckily, he had six rushes for 45 rushing yards. His rushing floor is kind of, uh, it's nice. But the Giants' offense is just completely stagnant right now. They're not going anywhere without Saquon Barkley. The Rams felt, it seemed like they knew what was coming in this game. It seemed like they did a great job of film study. They were reading Daniel Jones like a book on seven throws, or not seven throws, several throws, I should say. And, and Jones just did not do a good job of looking off his receivers. The announcers in this game just co- constantly commentated on that aspect of Jones' game. And it, it was just a bad day for Daniel Jones and this Giants offense. Man, it's looking pretty bleak for Daniel Jones. I know he had a a rough schedule going into the season, but I am glad that I faded him this year. He was a popular breakout candidate among a lot of experts. Uh, Not for me, and this Giants offense is just going nowhere. Devonta Freeman actually looked pretty good in this game. I know the stats aren't quite there, but I think you can feel a little bit more confidence after this game. Freeman was used kind of as the lead back. They still mixed in Wayne Gallman. They still mixed in Deion Lewis, so not that great. But but I will say after watching this game, Devonta Freeman looked more fresh than you would think. Like when he got holes, he looked quick. And I think Devonta Freeman is going to become the lead runner for this team sooner than later. Now, how valuable is that in fantasy football? I don't really know because this Giants offense is so bad. But, you know, maybe next week against Dallas, the week after that against Washington, you know, maybe Devonta Freeman will be a flex-worthy option. Maybe probably out of desperation. But, you know, people, you probably spent a lot of fab money on Freeman. I ended up getting Freeman in a couple leagues when I thought I wasn't spending a lot of fab money, but I ended up, uh, I guess, outbidding everyone in my league. But, you know, Freeman, he actually looked okay in this game. I think he should see more opportunities as the game, as the season progresses. I mean, they sure as heck want to get the ball out of Daniel Jones's hand. Uh, Sterling Shepard was out for this game. Obviously, Saquon Barkley out for this game. And Darius Slayton was the leading receiver in this game. I I had to check that real quick because he had 48 receiving yards, and I had to make sure that he was actually the leading receiver in this game. Three catches, 48 yards for Darius Slayton. And he led the Giants in receiving game. It just doesn't amount to much. He had basically one big shot over the middle of the field where he kind of got loose on a post route and had some yak there. But other than that, it was just nothing doing for Darius Slayton against uh, Jalen Ramsey at cornerback. Uh, Golden Tate had a few catches, whatever. Evan Ingram, 10 targets, great news, but only six catches, 35 yards. 
Ingram, he led the team in targets. But again, it just doesn't amount to much. Ingram is running a ton of routes. He's seeing good value. But the Giants, they're just not able to support a high-end pass catcher with the way Daniel Jones is struggling right now. Moving on to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They stormed back from a 24-7 deficit to beat the L.A. Chargers 38 38- 31 high scoring game great for fantasy football although it wasn't as great as you would expect because a lot of the touchdowns in this game whether it was from Herbert or Brady went to kind of nameless players that a lot of people didn't start Tom Brady his best game to date he has eight touchdowns in the last two weeks this week he had 369 yards he had five touchdowns one interception he did mix in a pick six on a poorly designed out route otherwise he was excellent in this game all five of his touchdowns went to different receivers O.J. Howard, LaShawn McCoy, they exit in this game with injuries. Leonard Fournette, he missed this game as well. That left Brady with Mike Evans, who was playing through an ankle sprain that he sustained early in this game, and a bunch of other nameless players. Brady just couldn't be stopped by the Chargers defense. They were missing Chris Harris. They were missing Melvin Ingram. Um, but Brady was just, he, he's just really heating up right now. He's starting to get used to this Bucks offense, and that is a scary sight for the Saints, scary sight for fantasy managers who are going against Brady. Scotty Miller, Seven targets, five catches, 83 yards. He did nothing until the fourth quarter, but he was a big target for Brady in the fourth quarter. He had a great catch down the seam, and he was left wide open for the easiest touchdown you will ever see. Mike Evans, he had an awesome game. Mike Evans was sensational in this game, actually, because I know it wasn't like, you know, 122 yards, one touchdown, seven catches on eight targets. It doesn't seem like it's great. It's not like a dominant day, but if you were to watch this game, Mike Evans was just so impressive. Chris Godwin, he was out for this game, of course, but Evans, you know, he exited early in this game after accruing 43 receiving yards on like the first drive or two of this game. He returned after spraining his ankle clearly. He was limping you know he's battling this injury like all the game you could tell he was not 100% at full speed but he grinded it out made tough catches yards he hauled in one of his uh, signature over the shoulder grabs for a big player too uh, Mike Evans was just you know a warrior in this game and he deserves all the points that he received Chris Godwin he was out uh, Ronald Jones Fournette was out in this game as I mentioned Ronald Jones was a workhorse in this game which was predictable. I mentioned that he would be in this game. I didn't think he'd be this effective, though. Very efficient, Ronald Jones, which is rare for him. 20 rushes, 111 rushing yards, zero touchdowns. Great day on the ground, but a brutal, brutal, brutal day in the air for Ronald Jones or in the receiving game. Nine targets, which is amazing for a running back. I think it led the week out of running back targets. Six catches, also very good. 17 yards. What? How do you have six catches or 17 yards? That means he couldn't make anyone miss any tackles or he just dropped every time he caught the ball, just totally, um, you know, a check down. Like he's not really looked to as like one of the first like five options in this passing. And that's what that tells me. Uh, he dropped three passes in this game, three passes. And Tom Brady was visibly frustrated with him for doing that. But he was, again, he was very efficient on the ground. He was actually quite effective between the tackles. He showed plenty of strength breaking through arm tackles. And Jones played more passing snaps than usual after LaShawn McCoy went down with an ankle injury. And Kenyon Barner, who was playing in this game, he left from a concussion left in this game. That left uh, Keyshawn Vaughn to get his first really real work of the season. And Vaughn, you know, he just played okay. He did score a touchdown on a reception late in this game. Moving on to the Los Angeles Chargers side of the ball, Justin Herbert, 290 yards passing, three touchdowns, one interception against a very stingy, vaunting, uh, vaunted Tampa Bay defense. This was an outstanding game by Herbert, who has really put an extremely difficult spot. 
He is in a cross-country road trip without his starting center, starting right guard, and starting right tackle. Brian Belaga, Tri-Turner, out for this game. He was missing his whole right side of his offensive line. Mike Williams, out for this game. Austin Eckler, hamstring. We'll talk about that in a second, but he missed most of this game. And this is, again, against a tough Bucks defense. And Tampa Bay just had no answers for Herbert. He completed 20 of 25 passes, including two long touchdowns, one of which was that Pat Mahomes-like beautiful touch pass over the top of the defense with pressure in his face. He threw it like while fading away. Uh, Bruce Arians commented that to Anthony Lynn that Justin Herbert was going to be a real one. Uh, you know, going forward, you know, Justin Herbert, he is here to stay. Man, this was a, this was a great game from Herbert. Keenan Allen, another pretty good game in terms of usage, not very efficient. 11 targets, great news. Within the three games that he's played with Justin Herbert, 10 targets, 19 targets, 11 targets, 8 catches for Keenan Allen uh, yesterday, 62 receiving yards. It was scoreless yards, so he didn't score. But again, Herbert is looking to Allen way, way, just so often. And that is great news if you drafted Keenan Allen. I know I did, and I was fading with Keenan Allen. He's received an elite 44% target share uh, yesterday, and Austin Eckler exited. And he's expected to miss time, so Allen will continue to be the focal point of this passing game. He is PPR gold. Mike Williams, he did miss this game with a hamstring issue. Hunter Henry did play three catches, two Sorry, three targets, two catches, 39 receiving yards, scoreless yards. It was surprising that Henry didn't have a bigger game seeing as Eckler exited early with Mike Williams out. Henry kind of just had one long game along the sideline, but that was pretty much it. But Henry has the third most receiving yards among receivers and tight ends without a touchdown this season with 245 um, yards. Again, he doesn't have the third most receiving yards among everybody, but he is the third most among players without a touchdown this year. Uh, point is, touchdown regression, positive touchdown regression, is coming for Hunter Henry. Let's move on to the running game, and this is where nightmares occur. Austin Eckler, two rushes, two, 12, uh, sorry, 12 rushing yards, one catch, two yards, so a bad day from Austin Eckler. But wait, it wasn't because he just had a bad game. It was because he didn't play. He exited early in the first quarter with a leg injury and was carted off. It did not look good. The Chargers are reporting, luckily, it's not a knee injury. It's a hamstring injury. He's going to miss a couple of weeks. That means it is Josh Kelly season. But Josh Kelly has had two pretty bad games in a row. In week three, eight carries, 43 scoreless yards against the Panthers, only two catches for nine yards. In week four, nine carries, seven rushing yards. That's right, he was nine for seven. Uh, and three catches, 26 yards. He also had a fumble loss for the second straight game. So is that going to mean that the Chargers are going to use another running back you know, like in tandem with Joshua Kelly, like maybe Justin Jackson? I don't know. Maybe so. But Kelly just kind of fumbled away his opportunity to be the bell cow back potentially with Austin Eckler's sideline for the next couple weeks. Kelly needs is probably definitely, I should say he's a running back too, going forward until Austin Eckler comes back. But he was predictably stuffed in this game. It was the league's worst offensive line today. Again, the Chargers were missing their center, their right guard, and their right tackle against a stingy Bucks run defense. Eckler, you know, it looks like a serious hamstring again. Uh, and Kelly, you know, let's see if he takes, I'm hoping that he takes the full workhorse back role. I listed Kelly as a deep sleeper in my draft guide. I have Kelly on a few teams, and I hope that you do too. And so... Hopefully he can take advantage of this situation and play really well while Eckler is out. Although I'm worried because he fumbled for the second straight game that they're going to get Justin Jackson involved that well. But Kelly should get the first opportunity to be 
the workhorse while Austin Eckler is out. Very sad, sad stuff if you have Austin Eckler. He was having a good season. The Minnesota Vikings got their first win of the season, defeating the Houston Texans 31-23. The Texans are now 0-4. Kirk Cousins, 260 passing yards, one touchdown, zero interceptions. This is how the Vikings want him to play. Zero turnovers here being the key. Kirk Cousins was efficient through the air when he did have uh, the attempts, but he didn't really have a voluminous passing day here. Only 22 passing attempts. This was probably his best game from an efficiency standpoint. Kirk Cousins routinely found Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson for big gains. The Vikings used more pre-snap motion and play action to breathe life into this offense. Dalvin Cook, he just ran all over the Texans defense, but Kirk Cousins, six touchdowns, six interceptions through the first four weeks. He is the epitome of an average NFL starting quarterback, Uh, but things are picking up for this offense. Adam Thielen, 10 targets, eight catches, 114 receiving yards, one touchdown, so a good, good game from Adam Thielen. We'll call it a great game. The highlight was a 39-yard grab off play action where Thielen cut across the field to tackle on yardage. His score was a nine-yarder where Kirk Cousins kind of thread the needle. He was blatantly interfered with, Thielen was, but he caught the pass in the end zone anyway. The Vikings are finally producing on offense. Justin Jefferson, five targets, four catches, 103 receiving yards, no scores, but this is his second straight 100-yard game as a full-time starter, and he's drawn 14 of Cousins' 49 targets in the past two weeks. Not great, not terrible. All four of Jefferson's receptions went for 20 or more yards as he just kept ripping holes between the second and third levels of the Texans' defense. Jefferson played 77% of the Vikings' offensive snaps, and as I indicated, he received a snap increase in Week 3 where he played over 70% of the snaps as well. So ever since he's become a remotely, he's not a full-time player yet, I should say, but he's he's close. So ever since he's not been a rotational player, I'll call him in weeks one and two, where he was just kind of playing, I don't know, like 50% of the snaps or less, then Jefferson's had two 100-yard games. So Jefferson, every week flex, for sure. I mean, he's a clear number two receiver in this offense now, and he should have a good, strong second half of the season. I should say he should have a good final three quarters of the season. Uh, I'd be pretty happy if I spent my some of my fab money on Jefferson Jefferson. I only did that in one league, uh, and it was the one league he was available in. Dalvin Cook was amazing in this game, his second straight amazing game. I'm so mad at myself for not being on Dalvin Cook. I faded him because of the injury history, and he still could get hurt. There's no... You know, we're only four games in, but Dalvin Cook has just looked so good this year. Cook's longest run only went for 15 yards, and he had 130 yards in this game on 27 attempts. Uh, so that just tells you that he was just extremely effective with the ball in his hands, routinely finding the edge, and repeated like six, seven-yard gains over and over again, kind of just gashing this Texans defense. Two catches, 16 yards, not that great in a receiving day, but two touchdowns on the ground. He could have had a third touchdown on the ground in the fourth quarter, but he had to check out near the goal line after getting the wind knocked out of him. Um, Cook has just been excellent on a 1-3 and three Vikings team. The Houston Texans, things were a little better today. Deshaun Watson, 300 passing yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. Watson isn't running a lot. Uh, I've noticed that this year. I don't know why that is. He was running more, a lot more last year. This is Watson's first 300-yard day, and it's the first game without a turnover this season. But he played like off his back foot, like all game. The Texans were frequently down two scores at home, and Watson kept put, getting put in obvious 
passing situations, like third and longs, taking three sacks. He could have had a third touchdown at the very end of the game, uh, but Will Fuller just couldn't secure a one-handed uh, tip-to-himself catch in the red zone. I'll talk about Will Fuller right now. Uh, week four for Will Fuller was a good week. Seven targets, six catches, 108 yards, and a score. And Fuller's best catch was arguably the one I just talked about where he couldn't quite haul in a catch in the end zone with one minute remaining. The Texans were trailing by less than a score. He high-pointed a fade route throw and tipped it with one hand to himself, but narrowly lost possession. Like the ball barely moved as it hit the ground. It could have been called a, a touchdown, but the ball moved slightly as it hit the ground. It was somewhat debatable, I thought. but Maybe that's just the Will Fuller fan in me saying. I wasn't surprised when they overturned it, but still. He could have been a second touchdown, and his first touchdown was a 25-yard score on a busted coverage after a play fake. So good stuff from Will Fuller there in a pretty cupcake matchup there. He delivered. Uh, you know who didn't deliver in this cupcake matchup is Brandon Cooks. Three targets, zero catches, obviously zero yards and zero touchdowns. This is a total goose egg. And it was just totally inexcusable against an undermanned secondary against the Vikings at home on a day where the Texans were trailing and Watkins threw for 300 yards. Cooks had none of those. Cooks ran a route on 39 of 40 Houston routes, pass routes. So he was basically just doing exercise out there. He was exercising. He was running wind sprints or jogs. I, I don't know, man. Brandon Cooks, that very disappointing day. He's had three horrific games this year and one pretty solid game against the Ravens. But that was the game where Will Fuller was out with the injury for most of that second half. So I don't know. I don't think Brandon Cooks is very trustworthy right now. Obviously, David Johnson, a little more trustworthy, but he just hasn't had that like blow-up game yet. Uh, 16 attempts, 63 rushing yards, not terrible. Two catches, 29 receiving yards, but he's yet to have an 80-yard day on the ground. And there's just not a lot of there's not a lot of room to roam in the Texans' offense. He's only averaging 3.86 yards a carry, and he's not caught more than three passes in a game. But he is getting the bell cow role. But the Texans just aren't utilizing the running back that much because they're always trailing. I mean, they're 0-4, so it's just kind of tough if you have David Johnson here. I know two of his games have been against the Ravens and Steelers. He's been able to manage. He's been managed to find the end zone twice. This season, but the Texans' uh, schedule does stay pretty soft for the next couple of games. I know they have the Jaguars next, so you can kind of keep riding David Johnson as an every week running back, too. And now we're on to this game. This is the Cleveland Browns. They held off the Dallas Cowboys 49-38. to What a thrilling game this was to improve to 3-1, the Browns are. The Cowboys are 1-3, are but still right in the mix of things in the terrible NFC least division. For the Browns, Baker Mayfield... 165 passing yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. This is exactly what the Browns want out of Baker Mayfield. He didn't take chances. Cleveland just bulldozed the Dallas front seven for 307 rushing yards and 7.6 yards a carry. Um, Yeah, wow. Baker Mayfield was barely needed in this game, despite the Browns putting up 49 points in this game. Mayfield's attempts were all play action. They were all shallow crossing routes. And Mayfield's now averaging only 25 attempts Per game in his last three starts, Odell Beckham had a long rushing touchdown. That was one of the touchdowns. He also caught a touchdown on a trick play from Jarvis Landry. That was another non-Mayfield touchdown. There were there were a rushing touchdown or two from the Browns as well. But Mayfield, just a game manager at this point. I mean, his last two games, 156 yards, 165 yards, two touchdowns, two touchdowns, zero interceptions, zero interceptions against two soft defenses. And that's against two soft defenses. That's what they want. 
That's what the Browns want out of Baker Mayfield, just to be managing the game and letting their run game do the damage, and that it did. But unfortunately, there were ramifications because the in week four, Nick Chubb, he exited with a, a knee injury after having his leg rolled upon in pass protection in the first quarter. This is another bad injury, just like Austin Eckler. Uh, he, only, he had six carries, 43 rushing yards in the first quarter, so it was looking like it was going to be a huge day for Nick Chubb, arguably, in my opinion, based on how this game ended up going and seeing that the other running backs just dominated after Nick Chubb. This honestly could have been a 200-yard day from Nick Chubb. I know it was early when he exited, so that's maybe a little ambitious of me, but it looked like he was well on his way to his third great game in a row. But unfortunately, the ugly injury here, I think it's a knee injury. He should be out. I've heard he's going to be out for about six to eight weeks. That is a brutal, brutal blow for Nick Chubb. And what does it do for Kareem Hunt? It makes him a league winner, at least for now, until until Chubb returns. Kareem Hunt already was playing way better than I thought this year. 11 carries in this game, 71 rushing yards, two touchdowns for Kareem Hunt. And again, Chubb exited in the first quarter, allowing Hunt to pulverize the Dallas front seven. And Hunt had nursed a growing injury in this game over the week, uh, or throughout the week, that made him questionable for this contest. And Dearness Johnson, 13 carries, 95 yards. He kind of split the reps with Kareem Hunt after Nick Chubb was sidelined. It's unclear whether Johnson... Like DeAndre Johnson saw a lot of that playing time because Hunt was limited and practiced throughout the week with the growing injury, and he was maybe limited in the game. Or if the Browns just prefer a running back by committee and they want to preserve Kareem Hunt, and they like that dynamic duo that the Chubb and Hunt combo provided them. So I don't know if DeAndre Johnson is here to stay. Like, I don't know. I'm probably not going to be bidding a lot on the waiver wire for him, but it's possible that he cuts into Kareem Hunt's workload. Either way, this is great news for Kareem Hunt's fantasy outlook, and he has got to be an RB1 going forward, if not a top eight every week running back until Nick Chubb returns, regardless of the matchup, because Kareem Hunt can also do damage in the receiving game. Honestly, I'm kind of convincing myself that he could be a top five asset in fantasy football, at least for the next um, I don't know, six to eight weeks, which is a long time. I mean, it looks like Chubb's not even going to come back until week 10 at the earliest. So he's already been placed on short-term IR, which is at least three games. But but wow, Kareem Hunt is looking to be in a smash spot here in a, in a great running offense. And he's also now the lead back here. We knew that if any injury happened to Chubb or Hunt, that the other one would just go berserk. And that's probably what's going to happen here. So let's talk about the passing game real quick. Odell Beckham. I mentioned that I am starting him in every league I have him. He is, I mentioned this was going to be a great game for Odell Beckham. Wow. I mean, that was an understatement, right? Odell Beckham, this was his best game since joining the Browns. Eight targets, five catches, 81 uh, receiving yards, two touchdowns, and then he had a 50-yard rushing touchdown. He caught a 37-yard touchdown from Jarvis Landry in the opening possession. It was a trick play. Beckham later caught a play-action pass from Baker Mayfield. Uh, and then right when Dallas was storming back at the end of this game, which I'll talk about in a second when I get to Dallas, Beckham sealed the game with a 50-yard rushing touchdown where who he scored on a reverse where he kind of faked like he was going to run out of bounds like after a 10-yard gainer. And then he cut back inside and burst upfield, winning a foot race against a linebacker. Odell Beckham, huge fantasy week-winning day for Odell Beckham, and that is great. Obviously, I was very, very high on him in my draft guide, so it's good to see him perform well. Jarvis Landry had his best fantasy game to date, but... Not much in the receiving game. He had a 37-yard pass touchdown to Odell Beckham, which helps, but only six targets, five catches, 48 receiving yards. This is basically what he's done all season long in the in the 
uh, receiving category, which is the main one that counts. Uh, so I don't know. Mayfield just kind of continues to be a low volume quarterback in a run first offense. Maybe Nick Chubb not being there will help Jarvis Landry's uh, target count. Austin Hooper had a one or two yard touchdown on a play action pass from Baker Mayfield. Uh, but I just don't know if he's worth picking up, even with the Nick Chubb injury. Uh, let's get to Dallas here, because this was a very fun game. If you have Dallas Cowboys in your team, uh, Dak Prescott, This is, let me just say this. This is the third game in a row where the Cowboys have fallen behind by a great deficit early on. And then it's just been a total print fest for Dak Prescott for like the final three quarters of the game, where he's just, I mean... Nobody is putting up garbage production like Dak Prescott. And it's not garbage because he's actually really good, but they are just always trying. The defense is just letting him have all this underneath stuff, but Dak's also hitting explosive plays as well. Dak's been so good this year, and this was another elite game from Dak Prescott. 502 passing yards. That's right, 502 passing yards. In week three, Dak Prescott, 472 passing yards. In week two, 450 passing yards. The dude has combined for like a million passing yards in the last three weeks. I mean, every week the Dallas Cowboys just go down and they were trailing, uh, you know, entering the fourth quarter 42 or 41 to 22 in this game. And Dallas just racked, Dak just racked up the points with the favorable game flow. And he became the first quarterback in league history to throw for at least 450 passing yards in three straight games. And the team's dreadful defense, Dallas's is, uh, I mean, it's just been Dak's best friend for fantasy purposes. He also has an amazing supporting cast. That's health. But Dak Prescott has been certainly a league winner through a quarter of the season so far. And I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon because, you know, the, the, the Cowboys defense is just so bad. They're just so bad. Dak's always having to throw it. It's just a great situation for Dak. And we knew that going in. We didn't think they were going to be losing every game by 17. And Dak was just going to have prolific fourth quarters. We didn't know that was necessarily how they were going to get all their points. But we knew Dak had a amazing supporting cast. We knew Dak had a an amazing, um, I mean, a terrible defense. This was part of the equation for Dak Prescott. It's why I ranked him as quarterback four uh, over the consensus, which is more like quarterback five or six. I know on ESPN he was like quarterback six for a while, which I thought was crazy. But either way, Dak Prescott, I only have him on one team. I wish I had him on all my teams, basically, except for maybe the team I have Russell Wilson on. But, but Dak Prescott, he's just been phenomenal, just so good. Mamari Cooper, also phenomenal. 16 targets, 12 catches, 134 receiving yards, one touchdown. He finally got into the end zone, and he's been good before he even got in the end zone in this game. Dak obviously had over 500 yards. Uh, Prescott just rifled a pass to Mark, uh, to Mari Cooper. He threaded the needle uh, in the first quarter, and Cooper was also the beneficiary of Dallas's weekly come-from-behind game script. Cooper has seen at least nine targets, and he's seen at least 80 receiving yards in every game this season. He is PPR gold. I wish that I was higher on Cooper going into the season. C.D. Lamb, a great game from him. Seven targets, five catches, 79 yards, two touchdowns. Both came from the slot. His first was a wide-open 43-yard strike, and his second came in the final six minutes of the game. Look, it's worth noting that Cedric Wilson was involved. He was kind of a week three darling there. We had 150 yards, two touchdowns from Dak. Cedric Wilson, he was involved for the second straight game, totaling six targets here. And the Cowboys, part of that was because they were trailing 41-22 in entering the fourth quarter. Dalton Schultz was also involved. I think Dalton Schultz should be definitely picked up off waiver wire. I know the game flow has been one of the main reasons Dalton Schultz putting up numbers, but Blake Jarwin, he was one of my sleeper tight ends going into the season. Dalton Schultz is taking his role there. Um, To the expense of Michael Gallup, we are not getting up here 
five targets, two catches, 29 yards. This is on a day where Dak Prescott threw for 500 yards. Michael Gallup only had 29 of them. Yikes. Terrible week from Michael Gallup. And this was after a promising week three where he had 130 yards and a touch against Seattle. Um, this is this is his third disappointing outing in four games with Dak throwing, you know, just all day today. It just is such a shame. I was down on Michael Gallup. I don't have him on any team. Um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I faded Michael Gallup. It just looks like other receivers are ahead of him in the pecking order, including C.D. Lamb, definitely Mari Cooper. And now, you know, this C.J. Wilson or Cedric Wilson and Dalton Schultz are cutting into uh, Gallup's targets, and that's a shame. Ezekiel Elliott's also getting fed a lot of targets lately, and it's probably just because of comeback mode, but eight catches in this game for Zeke, 71 receiving yards. He had a fumble loss for the second time this season, where his butt was kind of, he thought it was on the ground, he thought he was down, but it got ripped out, but his butt was laying on a defender. Uh, but 12 rushes, 54 scoreless yards. Uh, this could have been better from Zeke. I thought he ran much better. He looked much better like from an uh, explosiveness perspective than he did in week three where I thought he looked like a plotter. But Mike McCarthy, he actually had a touchdown plunge up the gut in this game in the final quarter. But Mike McCarthy wouldn't challenge it. And he got ruled down on it. And it probably would have been a touchdown if he challenged it. And this allowed Tony Pollard to vulture the score on the next play, which was a real shame if you started Zeke. Um, but this was the fourth straight game that Zeke handled at least 20 touches. And it was his third straight game, or it was his third game this year where he had at least seven targets. So that's good news for Ezekiel Elliott there, especially with how bad the Cowboys defense is. All right, we're going to move on to the Baltimore Ravens. They easily handled the Washington football team 31-17 to improve to 3-1. and Lamar Jackson, I said that he would have a bounce back game with at least three touchdowns. It wasn't the best game in the world, but it was a bounce back game, and he did have three touchdowns. 193 passing yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Uh, seven rushing yards, or sorry, seven rushing carries, 53 rushing yards, one rushing touchdown. A lot of that came on a, a career-long 50-yard rushing touchdown where he looked like prime Lamar Jackson of last year where he just kind of scrambled throughout the game, making a few, he made a few incredible throws down the field. He was constantly under duress. The Ravens were missing their starting left tackle, uh, Ronnie Stanley, in this game. He's an elite player. And the Ravens, you know, Lamar Jackson, good game here. This is what you drafted him for. But they haven't really had their like amazing like five touchdown game yet that we saw so often from Lamar Jackson last year. And the rate part of that is because the Ravens aren't playing the same amount of snaps as they did. The Ravens averaged 68 offensive snaps per game last season. And now they're only playing 58 uh, snaps per game. That's 10 play difference. And they haven't even hit 65 snaps in a single game so far, according to Mike Clay of ESPN.com. Uh, Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown, seven targets, four catches, 86 yards. Another, you know, not great day for Marquise Brown. It was a good, it was a solid day, but nothing special at all. Lamar Jackson, again, barely missed him on two long deep balls for the second straight week. And Brown had separated from defenders on those plays. The Ra- they're just not hitting right now. They're, they're just a little off on their chemistry. The Ravens didn't need a throw for much of the second half. RG3 actually attempted a deep shot to Marquise Brown in the fourth quarter, but that was intercepted. Brown has the fourth most receiving yards among pass catchers without a touchdown. So he just hasn't found the end zone yet, and he just hasn't hit on one of his big um, plays yet, which is a shame. So hopefully that happens soon. Until then, he's a boomer bust option each week. Uh, Mark Andrews, he did not disappoint. Only three targets, two catches, 57 yards, but two touchdowns. That's what Mark Andrews does. 
He came through after two slow games. His targets were a concern, but Andrews has always been an efficient touchdown scorer, and the Ravens just got out to a big lead. So, But thankfully, it was due in part to Mark Andrews, who was great in this game. Mark Ingram, eight rushes, 34 yards, one touchdown. It's good that he saved his day with a short rushing touchdown. But Gus Edwards, nine carries, 38 yards. He led the team in rushing attempts once again, second straight week. And this backfield is just a nightmare for fantasy football purposes. J.K. Dobbins, five rushes, 16 yards, one catch, one yard in against the Washington football team. Dobbins was third in the pecking order. He's unstartable right now in this three-way running back for committee behind Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards. Honestly, I'd prefer not to start any of them. And for the Washington football team, Dwayne Haskins, 313 passing yards, no touchdowns, no turnovers, but it, he did get a short rushing touchdown when in garbage time. It was in the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, he got his first 300-yard passing game of his career. And it was a pass-heavy second-half script that saw Washington down by multiple scores, which is what we expected. But the Ravens just kind of let Dwayne Haskins dink and dung his way down the field. And, and when they needed big plays, the, the Washington football team did. And Haskins just settled for a bunch of checkdowns. But he did find Terry McLaurin on a deep pass late in the fourth quarter. And he had a rushing touchdown on one of the final drives. I just don't know if Dwayne Haskins is the answer. But I do think it's too soon to probably pull him just yet. He's still, you know, very, what is he, like 10 starts into his career. Uh, Terry McLaurin, scary Terry. <laughs> 14 targets, 10 catches, 118 yards. This is another good game from Terry McLaurin. His 10 grabs were a career high. He was mostly held in check until the fourth quarter when Haskins hit him down the sideline for 39 yards. McLaurin is, you know, he's always going to benefit from negative game script, right? And with the Washington football team not being that good, they're always trailing in the second half of his games. And he definitely did with the Ravens up multiple scores throughout. But it's still good that McLaurin hit on a positive matchup here. McLaurin has faced a murderer's low row of cornerbacks so far this season. So his schedule will lighten up soon. I mean, he's going to be probably a top 12 season, uh, receiver by season's end. Logan Thomas, man, it's just been rough for him. I thought he showed promise by his usage, but only four targets, one catch here for eight yards. That was a day when Haskins had his first 300-yard passing day. I think I'm off the Logan Thomas uh, hype train now. This this Washington offense just can't support uh, two relevant pass catchers. Uh, moving on to Antonio Gibson. I'm definitely on this hype train for sure. 13 carries, 46 rushing yards, one rushing touchdown, which is great in a game where, like, when you can get an early rushing touchdown, it is awesome in a game where you know you're gonna get, your team is going to get blown out because you're not going to get much chances if you don't score early in this game. But he had the rushing touchdown in the first half, and he nearly actually had a second rushing touchdown in the second half. But here's the key with Gibson. He was finally utilized as a receiver. His career high in receiving going into this game in the uh, three games prior to this game was 11 receiving yards. In this game, four catches, 82 receiving yards. So awesome news by Gibson. He's going to get used more and more eventually. He's probably going to be a bell cow running back, and I think he's going to be a potential league winner in the second half of the season. I would be trading for Antonio Gibson if you can. Uh, he bounced a couple runs to the outside. He displayed his speed and elusiveness, and his role, again, will just keep on increasing. He also got goal line opportunities in this game, and he broke off a 40-yard catch in the first half. I mean, the, the arrow is pointing sky high for Antonio Gibson. All right, moving on to the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen, another big game, 288 passing yards, two passing touchdowns, and a rushing score. So three touchdowns from Josh Allen. 
what does that make on the season? Four plus four is eight plus five, 13 plus three, 16 touchdowns in four weeks. That's averaging four a game. His rushing touchdown was a quarterback sneak at the goal line. Allen has just transformed his game with great coaching, great pass catchers around him. Stephon Diggs has helped so much. He threw a few dimes in this game, like absolute dimes. And he exited briefly with a, a left shoulder issue going to the locker room, but he did return on next series. We'll have to watch out for that. It's possible he may miss a game. We'll, we'll see. I, I don't really know. Uh, more reports will come on that uh, this week. The Bills are 4-0, and the schedule does get stiffer in the next coming weeks. But, but Allen has been a league winner so far through the first quarter of the season. Stephon Diggs has as well. Seven targets, six catches, 115 receiving yards against the Raiders. This was a great spot for Stephon Diggs, and he took advantage of a great matchup. And it's just another strong game. I mean, he has looked amazing as a route runner. We knew he was. But he's making crazy contested catches. He caught a contested catch on a 49-yard bomb where Allen just threw it up and let Diggs make a play. And that he did. He high-pointed it perfectly. Diggs has been so great this season. He is an every week wide receiver one, it looks like. John Brown, another pretty slow game. Five ca- uh, five targets, four catches, 42 receiving yards. And Brown may have been slowed by his calf injury, which he exited briefly in the first quarter to kind of nurse. Uh, and again, he was a questionable in this game going questionable going into this game with that calf injury. He nearly had a touchdown on a sensational catch where he actually reached the ball toward the end zone while he was snagging it in before going down on the one-yard line. Officials called or said the call on the field stood. It was debatable, honestly, if John Brown scored that touchdown. Uh, Allen had the QB sneak on the next play, in case you were wondering. Uh, Devin Singletary. Zach Moss was out for this game once again for the second straight week, and Singletary was the bell cow for the second straight week. Not as efficient, but he did score a touchdown in this game, which is great for Devin Singletary, who's usually taken out uh, for other backs in the red zone. 18 rushes, 55 rushing yards, one rushing touchdown, five catches, 21 yards for Devin Singletary. Singletary played a full-time role once again. He looks better then Zach Moss looked in his first few weeks, and Moss again was out with the toe injury. For the Las Vegas Raiders, Derek Carr, 311 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. Carr did most of his work in garbage time, as you would expect if Carr gets over 300 yards. No offense to Carr, but Carr again locked on to Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro. He was missing his two starting wide receivers, uh, Brian Edwards and Henry Ruggs, in this game. Renfro Eight targets, five catches, 57 yards. Not a huge day, but he was better in real life than he was in fantasy for this game. He looked really good once again. He's making contested catches. He's also getting open. Uh, I mean, I really like Renfro. I think Renfro is honestly, as of right now, probably the best receiver on this Raiders team. But are they going to use him like that when Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards come back? I'm not really so sure, but I definitely think he's worth a hold to find out. He was a deep sleeper in my draft guide. Darren Waller also had a good game, which I'll get to in a second, but Carr's fantasy ceiling is limited by the Raiders' conservative approach with Josh Jacobs and Carr's own conservative approach. He also limits himself. Uh, Though he is on pace for 4,300 yards and 32 touchdowns through the first quarter of this season. I don't think that's going to be very sustainable, but we will see. Henry Ruggs, he was out for this game. Brian Edwards was out for this game. Darren Waller was the focal point here. 12 targets, 9 catches, 88 yards. He was peppered by Derek Carr with targets because the Raiders were trailing throughout the second half. He's been a total stud this year. I know he had the one horrible game against the New England Patriots, but that was predictable there. He's looking like one of the NFL's best tight ends, and he's on pace for 116 catches, 988 yards, and 
four touchdowns on an insane 160 targets. Darren Waller every week tied in one for sure. I underestimated him this season, uh, but, but I thought the Raiders' other receivers were going to play more role, but they're all hurt or they're just not very good yet. So Darren Waller, I underestimated him. I apologize for that. Um, let's move on to Josh Jacobs, the running game here. Uh, man, this is three pretty weak outings in a row for Josh Jacobs. Look, I get that he's played the Saints thing he run defense. He's played the Patriots, and he's played the Bills. So not an easy slate of matchup by any means against the run there for Josh Jacobs. But only 15 rushes, 48 rushing yards, uh, three catches for 25 yards. That Hey, he's caught three passes in every game this season. So that is good news. He wasn't doing that, so he's a little less game script dependent as he was last year, but he still is. The Raiders still want to be a run-first team, and they still go away from him a little bit when they are trailing, which they would were in this game by multiple scores uh, through some of it. And Josh Jacobs is also missing two starters along the O-line. So I know the Raiders will continue to try to get Jacobs going. Hey, if you're running back, look, it's okay to be disappointed with Jacobs in the last three weeks after blowing up in week one. It kind of teased us there, uh, but that was against Carolina. He's still a little bit dependent on having a good matchup, but he's still in every week running back one. And if your running back one is healthy at this point and getting the the volume share, the workload that Jacobs is getting, then you're happy regardless, even if he had three you know, subpar games in a row. Next for the Raiders is the Kansas City Chiefs. All right, moving on to the Philadelphia Eagles, and they upset the 49ers. This is the last game of the day. They upset the Niners 25-20 to on Sunday Night Football, and I'm happy to say that I called this upset on the preview show, and the Eagles are winning their division right now uh, at 1-2-1. Two, and one. The Niners are 2-2. Two, and two. Carson Wentz in this game, not that great once again, but a decent fantasy day because another great rushing game for him. Third, seven carries, 37 rushing yards, and a rushing touchdown, which helped his only nine, 193 passing yards, one passing touchdown, one interception. And Wentz continued to struggle under pressure, but he did make a handful of nice throws in this game. He is depleted offensive line that is forced to make him scramble more, which is his rushing floor is helping save his fantasy production. But and he's now scored on the ground for three straight games, by the way. But it's still looking pretty ugly through the air. He's missing some linemen. He's missing Alshon Jeffrey. He's missing Deshaun Jackson. He's missing Jalen Rager. He's missing Dallas Goddard. I mean, dang. I mean, Wentz, you know, that's why he can't starve in fantasy. He's got no one to throw to. And Wentz did have a beautiful 40-yard touchdown strike down the sideline to a wide receiver that they just added off the street this week. So I, I don't know. Like, to me, Wentz, yeah, I'm not talking about his fantasy perspective. Because fantasy, look, you know what he is. You know he's a quarterback two. You're likely not starting him as your quarterback one. And he's, he's been uh, relatively a bust in fantasy football so far if you did draft him as your quarterback one. But luckily, unless you're in like a super flex league, there's so many other options. So it didn't really hurt you that much. But you can't play him in single quarterback leagues. And you probably play him every week in super flex leagues, and that's fine. That's what he is. He's just uh, a quarterback two every week between quarterback 13 and 24, like every week. Whatever. But Carson Wentz, in a real-life perspective, I actually thought he played way better than he's getting credit for. I, I get that the numbers are down. But, man, when you just don't have those two or three starting offensive linemen, you don't have your top three receivers and Dallas Goddard, I mean, what is the guy supposed to do? And it's, this is against the Niners defense. I know they're banged up, but come on. I, I think Wentz is getting a little too much flack. Look, he hasn't been good this season. I'm acknowledging that, but he hasn't had anything to work with either. So 
I don't know. It's kind of chicken or the egg situation with Carson Wentz. But Deshaun Jackson did not play hamstring injury. Jalen Rager did not play uh, thumb injury. Alshon Jeffrey still in PP. He may be returning soon, by the way. Maybe if you have an IR spot, go pick up Alshon Jeffrey and waivers this week. Zach Ertz, he's a real storyline right now in a bad way. Five targets, four catches, nine yards, nine measly little yards for Zach Ertz with all those injuries I just said. What the heck is going on with Zach Ertz? He's finished behind Greg Ward in targets for the second straight week. He's been extremely inefficient this year. Ertz is averaging only 4.8 yards per target through four weeks. Part of the problem is that Wentz has played poorly. But Ertz just looks like he's washed as well. I mean, he'll be 30 years old next week, and his yards per target has dropped in each of the last three seasons. It's alarming that he cannot produce, despite the Eagles missing D-Jack, despite them missing Alshon Jeffrey, Jalen Rager, Dallas Goddard, his fellow tight end. You'd think, you'd think he's going to have a good game, but no. Zach Ertz, he, if there's if Kenyon Drake's the number one disappointment in fantasy football this season, that, like I should say non-injury-based disappointment, so Saquon Barkley doesn't count. But if Kenyon Drake's the number one injury or non-injury disappointment this season, number one bust, Zach Ertz probably is number two, right? Like, who am I missing? I mean, it's just been awful, awful, awful for Zach Ertz. Uh, I picked him in the fourth round of one league, or maybe it was the fifth round. I forgot, but oh gosh, it's been brutal. And geez, uh, Dallas Goddard, again, did not play. Miles Sanders, though, you know, 13 carries, 46 yards, two catches, 30 yards on on the surface, like just on you looking at the raw numbers, Sanders did not have a good game here. Pretty ineffective fantasy day for Sanders, but he looked way better in real life than he did in the box score. Carson Wentz missed an open Sanders on each of his two incomplete passes to Sanders, and no other Philly running back logged more than two touches. Sanders still led the way as a true bell cow back for this team, and the production has been lacking with the injuries along the O-line and the pass catchers, but Sanders is still getting the volume. I still think he's an RB1. And it seems to me like it's a little bit of a Joe Mixon situation where, you know, eventually when a guy's getting just getting this much touches, eventually he's going to hit in a big way. Sanders looked like the best offensive player in this game besides George Kittle. And that was just from my personal view. But I thought Sanders looked very explosive in this game despite the lack of fantasy production. And lastly, we go to the Niners. They were without Jimmy Garoppolo. They were without Raheem Mostert in this game. So let's talk about the passing game first. Uh, wide receivers, Brandon Ayuk. Uh, Nick Mullins started at quarterback, I should say. Ayuk had another pretty good game. Uh, I mentioned that he was. this was the last game we could probably stream him with Debo Samuel coming back the week after. But Debo Samuel had a surprising uh, start in this game. Debo Samuel, just right after I finished that pod, uh, Kyle Shannon was like, nah, we're going to play Debo Samuel this week. He's ready. Debo Samuel, three targets, three catches, 35 receiving yards. He looked pretty good in limited sample. Uh, Kyle Shanahan mentioned that they're not going to that they are going to ease him back in. And Samuel looked healthy enough for his role to increase as we go forward. So if you've been holding uh, Samuel this whole time, which you weren't if you dra- uh, used my draft guide, but if you were, then that's good news. Um, Kittle was a target hog in this game. We'll get to him in a second. But Samuel ran 20 routes in this game compared to Ayuk's 64 routes. So 64 routes run for Brandon Ayuk, obviously leading the team. That is great news for his fantasy outlook going forward. He is a hold and not just a temporary fix. Um Brandon Ayuk, five targets, two catches, 18 rush, uh, 18 receiving yards. Not that much, but he had that one rush for 38 yards and a touchdown. So Ayuk actually finished fourth on the team in targets despite running the most routes on the team. But he looked explosive and athletic on that screen pass behind the line of scrimmage. It was counted as a rush where he hurdled defender and landed on two feet and ran into the end zone. Um, Ayuk 
I think he is a great bench option for your team. You're starting to get the bye weeks, the injuries, and stuff like that. You can throw him out there. I don't think he's going to be an every week starter, but he looks like he's going to be a good pro in due time. Moving on to the key of the passing game here, and that is George Kittle. George freaking Kittle. Fifteen targets, fifteen catches. I mean, can you just believe that alone? If I don't even give you the rest of the stat line, that alone is like insane, right? Fifteen throws to George Kittle, fifteen catches, a hundred eighty-three yards and one touchdown. Nick Mullins started here. C.J. Bettard uh, finished the game. This was quite the return from a two-game absence with a knee injury for George Kittle. The entire pass offense ran through George Kittle. He added eight yards on the ground as well, but he did drop a two-point conversion late, and two-point conversions do not count for his overall target um, or overall in the box score if you're wondering why I just mentioned he had 15 targets and five, 15 catches. But he did drop a two-point conversion late in the game, but Kittle just looked impossible to bring down after the catch. He was doing damage in the intermediate area all game, and the Eagles just simply could not cover this man, this beast. He caught three passes for 45 yards on the final drive with the Niners kind of down five trying to score. Uh, and the defense was kind of letting, leaving the middle of the field open because they didn't want to get beat deep, and they were the Niners had no timeouts. But but overall, even despite the, the positive or, or the favorable game flow for Kittle here, uh, this was an overall dominant performance uh, that you'll see from a tight end like all season long. And Kittle was a weak winner. I can speak to that truth personally from my end. He literally single-handedly like won me three games or put me back in him. I mean, this is this was an unbelievable performance on Sunday Night Football. And obviously with Kittle, I ranked him as a top 15 overall player in my draft board. So if you're like me and you drafted Kittle on several teams, you've been waiting patiently for him to come back and you used him this week and he won you your week this week. So that is very explosive stuff from George Kittle. I know that the Eagles can't cover a tight end worth a darn, but but going forward, this is great stuff from George Kittle. All right, moving on to Raheem Mostert. I mean, I just, I just, I just love talking about George Kittle. He was just so fun to watch last night. Uh, man, I, I, I guess I just have a total man crush. But anyway, um, Jarek McKinnon received. I thought this was going to be a split between Jeff Wilson and Jarek McKinnon in this game. I mentioned that in my preview. I thought this was going to be a timeshare, uh, just like it was against the Giants in Week Three. And I had mentioned that in Week Three that Jeff Wilson was more the closer in that game. And I mentioned that I didn't know if it was because McKinnon exited a little bit with a, a rib injury and was kind of ailing there, or if it was because they viewed Jess Wilson as a goal lineback slash closer. Well, that question was answered this week. And it was because uh, last week's Jeff Wilson usage was clearly because uh, McKinnon just sustained the injury. McKinnon was a bell cow in this game without Raheem Mostert and Tevin Coleman playing. 14 carries, 54 yards rushing, one touchdown on the ground. He also had seven catches for 43 receiving yards in this game. And he was just, I mean, to say he's a lead back is an understatement. He saw 92% of the snaps. That was a career high for McKinnon. And he's now scored a touchdown in every game this season, believe it or not, very quietly. And McKinnon looked good, but he just didn't have a lot. He didn't have a lot of room to work with. For most of the night, the Eagles' run defense is pretty good. Jeff Wilson only carried the ball three times. He had a goal line plunge late in the game with the Niners. They were in the hurry up, so there wasn't even an opportunity to take him really out 
uh, for Jeff Wilson. There might have been a stoppage, but they kept McKinnon in because he was he's their obviously preferred passing down back. Uh, yeah, McKinnon was great in this game, even though he wasn't totally efficient. But man, I mean, he just he looked better in real life than he did uh, in the box score, and he was pretty good in the box score as well. All right, that will conclude today's show. If you enjoyed today's show, please do me a solid. Hit the subscribe button. Give a positive rating or review to this podcast. I really, really, really would appreciate that. I love all of your support. Please ask me any fantasy questions on fantasylawguide.com. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See you.